Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Hey, this is Adam from the CRE Podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded a while ago. So it's a little bit dated. It's one of the conferences in 2023. It was released in video format at the time for anybody that wanted to watch Aaron and I speak in person. But this, of course, will be the, you know, the podcast platform. So we are going to release all the content now. It is good stuff. Some of the references might not jibe contextually with the current market. Keep that in mind when you're listening to it. And I guess the other big takeaway message is for 2024, we've invested into a podcast producer and you're going to see episodes that are released very shortly after recording. And you'll probably see a little more social media going on. So look forward to it. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatik, sitting here with Aaron Cameron at the Real Capital Conference 2023. It's the first conference of the year, start of a, of a long season, which we will be a large part of. The hum, the hum is great, right? Yeah, you can feel the energy. This is in between sessions, so you'll hear a little background noise, although I'm sure they'll they'll be back in soon. But I think that the background noise is part of the uh, the fun of doing it at the, uh, the exactly forums. better than sitting in my basement. I'll tell you that. We're sitting here with Peter Sensed of CBRE. He has been on once before, and he's also one of those guests that uh, most people likely know uh, know his name. But we will welcome him back to the uh, podcast. Welcome, Peter. Very nice to be here. And uh, that was a great start to the day, our breakfast we just held. So I, uh, I like the message, and it feels somewhat positive today. Yeah, that was the, the takeaway, was uh, was positivity. And I, I hope everybody's right uh, right on that note. Yeah, I had the same experience, Peter. And it was, there's less uncertainty in the market today than there was. There's still lots of uncertainty, but if you rewind 12 months ago, you didn't know if inflation was going to 15%. You didn't know if interest rates were going to, you know, you had no idea what was going to happen. At least now we feel like, okay, I know what the band of up and the floor and the ceiling look like going forwards. I, I don't remember a year where you don't start with, Oh my gosh, there's a lot of things to be caring, you know, worried about. There's a lot of challenges. Like every year is the same. Our job is just figure out how to get from A to B to C. And we somehow do that as an industry. Well, maybe let's talk about that. Uh, Peter has been on before. So if anyone wants to do a deep dive in his background, the link to his previous episode will be there. But it's real quick, you know, who you are, Peter. As you mentioned uh, before we hit record that uh, you're 30 years in the business. Was there a year of just Placid, calm, with nothing uh, on the horizon you had to pay attention to, but maybe just know who you are and kind of cover the 30 years. <laughs> sure. Well, <laughs> in, in 30 I'll, seconds. 30 years and yeah, 30 seconds. Right. So it, the, the funny thing is the only years that look calm are the ones when you look back. When you look back, you kind of go, okay, we figured it out. We got it done. Nothing going forward ever looks easy. And this is now uh, maybe 32 or 33 years at CBRE where I've had the honor of working at the company. And it's the biggest service company of its type in the world. It's a Fortune 100 firm. Last time I checked, it was a Fortune 132. We own these incredible principal business lines. We've got really smart, capable people just helping to make real estate decision-making better and easier. So I don't know, it's been more than $125 billion of trades that I've been a part of now. And, you know, I get to work with some great people all the time. Our team is great. The clients are great. It's I just consider it a privilege every day I get to go to work. And how long have you been there for? 32, 33 wow. years. And that guy. And how big's your team now? 27 people. Like it's, and it's, and then there's research and there's the other office, everything else. So I just think I've got the biggest dashboard in the industry. When I could see every asset class, 
every geography, not just Canada, but around the world. It just gives me intelligence that no one else has. You can't replicate. Yeah. I'm going to pivot a little bit and we're going to talk about transactions. But, you know, last time you were on, we didn't really get into it about the way I can put it is sort of sales philosophy. Um, you are a salesperson. You are out there to sell. You don't see yourself that way. You're kind of nodding Investment your head back. Investment advisor. I think that's kind of the, where I want to go. Is What is the approach? What is the general philosophy to get in front of your clients, to empower your clients, to empower your teammates? What does that look like? I really see my role as more of a, like a chair of the board, and I'm there to help the CEO make a decision. So we go through all the thinking, the what ifs, the plan Bs, and it's never to really sell. It's to say, look, what's the right decision? How do we make the best decision we can? And that's what people count on us for, is just sort of thinking through all the, the potential problems. Because the worst thing you can have today when the markets are like they are, is to make a mistake. And we're there to make sure that we don't make mistakes and the best outcome possible we can deliver so on. Remove uncertainties. That's our job. And it's not selling. It's it's. I, I will note that uh, Peter doesn't say I or me at all. It's always we and us. Well, why is that? Really, when you understand what we have, it is all about we. It's, it's a much bigger picture and story. So I think about it, whether it's the teams, the platform, just this whole global approach, it is a big we. And I see the clients, when you talk about selling, again, it, it's a partnership with them to make the right decision. So we're, we're all in it together to a degree. And, and to that to that point, the idea that this decision might not be a sale for you is how Absolutely. you become more of an advisor than Absolutely. just a door-to-door -door salesman. No, a powerful <laughs> statement, right? The, yeah. the worst thing we can do is take something out that doesn't work. So if we create a plane that won't fly, or even worse crashes, like that is not a good outcome. So we, we don't want to go there embarrassing clients or letting them sort of walk into a wall in the dark. Not what we do. Can I pull on that string a little bit? Yeah. How do you convey that value? What, what is the process? You know, it's not easy. You don't just put a slide show up and say, here's what I do for you. I, I'm your partner. It comes across as very shallow. How do you go into that level of getting the clients to appreciate that you truly are just there as a partnership? The 32 or 33 years of getting to know each other, it's just a, it's an understanding that we all have that we're here. Our success is kind of linked. You know, we're helping kind of each other in that sense. So we just, over the years, we've said no, or we've said, watch out for this. Don't do this or do this. You learn that it's uh, developing trust. It's really what it comes down to. You mentioned trying to help avoid making mistakes, but if you made a mistake in real estate in 2017, it probably got paved over by pretty good uh, tailwinds. You know, the mistakes then just inhibited your, your potential return, but you know, making mistakes in the current market, a little more treacherous. And maybe we can start off with where we are in the market today, just for a timestamp. I think we are February 28th. So just a quick 30,000 foot view of where we are as an investment community. So we just closed. <laughs> you only have about three yeah, minutes. Yeah, we just closed the, one of the biggest deals in Canadian history on Friday of last week. So the summit re deal. So when you really look at the raw numbers, you had in 2022, that was 58 billion of trading. And we thought 2021 was going to be the record of all records. And that was just 59. So Canada was down 2%. So we come into the year, we've got a million foot office deal firm getting ready to close next month. We've got lots of retail. We just closed Aaron Mills Town Center. A lot of industrial coming out. We've got some big land under contract. So it's not all perfect, but if you compare this to what's going on globally, 1.4 trillion traded in 2021, then it dropped to 1.1. So that's a 20% reduction. Canada down to the world down 20, that discomfort, it's there. And the debt markets in the U.S. are a challenge. In Europe, there's a 
very tough war going on, geopolitical tensions in Asia. When you look at real estate through our global lens, Canada is one of the absolute shining stars because of all the things we're able to do. And if you're not having exposure to Canada through real estate, you want it now like never before. And then I had to go straight to that foreign buyer's restriction, the legislation that was announced in December and enacted in January. How has that impacted your business? It's going to be a little bit tricky, but I think they're going to redefine it. There's yeah, going to be... I, let's be fair. They, they, it was unintended consequences, but we have heard now, for anyone that's not familiar, uh, there's a foreign buyer's restriction. Couldn't have more than 3% ownership to buy land that would maybe use for residential purposes, which ultimately captures condos and apartments, if that's my understanding. So all of a sudden, basically, if you're a European or Asian or American and you have 3% ownership, you no longer can acquire land. Are you feeling that that's having an impact that people are concerned about, it, even though it probably will pivot at some point? Yeah, we're, we're talking about it more than the reality of having an impact, but we're even saying that this time last year, we closed Royal Bank Plaza. That, you could have got caught up in it because it was Spanish capital coming in to do that. So, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll get through it. Um, it's right frustrating now, more than anything. It's, it's, it's more just concerning. Smart decisions will be made around this. We'll get through that. Well, especially they do redefine it because that was not the intended consequence. It was right. not, they, exactly. they didn't have exactly. large investors right. uh, looking to do, you know, yeah. put billions into the country For in the crosshairs. I'll say that Michael Brooks at Real Pack is working very hard to lobby all the interest, interested he's parties. He's so good at that. He's yep. so good. Yep. So we, yep. we're, our collective interests are being put forward very actively, but it's just going to take time. That's all it is. Yeah. For the deal junkies in the crowd, can we talk about some details on the uh, the summit deal? Buyer, seller, size, um, how much work went into it from your team? I imagine that must have been a, a mountain to climb. Well, it's um, this is where the global platform really plays an important role. So I spent a lot of time in the summer with GIC in Singapore. Then they asked me to go to New York, so we spent time there as well. When we came back from that trip, the whole idea was once upon a time, they were actually an investor in Blackstone. They wanted to have a deal when we did to take private to pure industrial, they wanted something similar themselves. So this has been in the making for a long time. This was a significant deal. So Summit Re selling to GIC and Dream. So Dream played a really important role in this one as well. But Michael Cooper and I, we flew down, we had a lunch and a serious meeting with Paul Dykeman in Bermuda on the Monday of Labor Day. We effectively cut a deal and the really that broad framework of the deal over a long lunch. We came back and we all put the effort into it. That ended up being a $5.9 billion deal that just closed on Friday. My hat's off to GIC, Summit, and Dream. And how many assets, total square footage, any of those types of details? It's a lot. It's, it's, yeah, I'll tell you, it was really $240 to $250 a foot. This would be something where yields would have been in the threes, which surprised a lot of people at a time like this. So, you know, again, in terms of scale, size, probably the second biggest ever done in Canada. Upside in rents, presumably. That's the big story. Yep. Very 1980s style to put together a whole deal over lunch. You know, it's, uh, I, I like it. <laughs> well, use that as a jumping in point to industrial. Are you a big believer in the, you can kind of, you know, pay for tomorrow's rent today concept in industrial? Mm -hmm. I mean, vacancy is still so tight in Toronto, Vancouver, we have the lowest vacancy rates in North America. Like we're, it's so rock solid. What we're not going to look for going forward is that parabolic growth. So we're just sort of bringing that down a little bit. So it's still a very healthy market, but just more of like a seven, eight, nine, 10, 11% rank. Like it just depends on where and what. So it'll be a little bit more manageable for tenants. So, you know, still very healthy. You still want to be a big participant in it. And as you reallocate capital, as you take your portfolio and want to change it, there's still a lot of groups that don't have industrial or don't have enough. 
watch for them to be coming into the market this year. So we'll do some big things before long this year. There was a wild stat was, um, I, sorry, I can't remember if it was Paul Morissuti or Benjamin Tall that had it up there, but it was that for every dollar saved in transportation costs for some of the, you know, the transportation logistics tenants, it's a 14 times multiple in dollars yep. they can spend on, on rent. Yep. This has always been part of the story that how much can the tenants absorb? The reality is in the grand scheme of their balance sheets, the cost of renting and the, the lease payments is a very small amount of their expenses. Agreed. And if you even think about it differently, if you want to be a best in class 3PL, you can't do that out of a 15-year-old or 20-year-old building. The, the modern spec gives you so much more efficiency. So when you think it through that way, it's like going to uh, race a car and you got 15-year-old car. Like It's just not going to go as fast as a current car. What does 3PL stand for? Think about it as a trucking logistics, that whole side of the yeah, business. Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with the, the terminology. <laughs> yeah. I throw them out too yeah. and I'm going, I better make sure everyone yeah. understands. It's yeah. an acronym, uh, rich business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can we talk about the return of institutional money? Everybody's talking about, you know, since the beginning of the year, everybody's coming back in the, the spring. The spring, we're going to see it. Spring, we're going to see it. I don't know if that's just a knee-jerk reaction to the housing market. Everybody's saying that it's going to come back in the spring. Uh, but the idea is we're going to see a lot of participants coming back shortly to the market that were not there last year. Do you think that's true? And, you know, what's driving that? So much is going to depend on how do the cards get played. And depending on what comes to us, you know, as a broader economy, That'll dictate people's moves. But if you're in the camp where you want to put money out now, you're thinking that inflation comes down, bonds come down, great time to buy, try and buy all cash, refinance later at lower rates. So you're really having an ARB at this time, if it all plays out according to plan. And Benjamin Tall, you just heard him some great points on things probably getting better, that things are maybe a little bit better than we're all thinking. I'm in that camp. I see a lot of opportunity and it's the really smart people making moves today. If you understand your business, if you understand the industry, you'll make the bet today thinking you'll have outsized returns. A lot of groups do sit on the sidelines. They want sort of clear skies. They want it easier to make decisions, but I never find it black and white. It's always gray. So you got to make decisions. The background's going to be challenging, but right now the really smart people are doing some great things. And I like that it's a finance play that, uh, you know, bodes well for uh, Aaron and, and myself. Yes. yes. <laughs> How do you stay ahead of the curve, Peter? I've been 33 years at this. You're still the leader in your industry. You're battling complacency probably every day. What does that look like for you just to make sure you're always thinking about it differently, looking at it differently, staying ahead of the trends? Like, what's the motivation? Really the mantra for us is every day is another step. So there's never a top. And so you're always trying to get ahead. So that's learning, that's building. It's really helping and figuring out how we can do more to deliver on client goals and needs. So as a firm, we're constantly buying companies. We're an M&A machine. We're trying to evolve our platform where we've got more services to be able to give. So really, this is a market about balance sheet. And we just happen to have an incredible balance sheet, virtually no debt. So you've got this big machine. I don't want to get into revenues, everything else, but it's a really big company with no debt. So there's a lot of things that we get excited about at a time like this. Because again, to be able to provide better services, this is a time where we can do things differently. I will announce this, but you're not allowed to make any comments on it, that you just got your CMHC approved lender status and you have a you know, growing lending platform at CBRE. Yep. It's something where, again, we're always trying to do things a little bit it's, differently. It's, you know what? You get, don't bother. It's just, you don't need to get into that <laughs> space, guys. Don't worry. We've got it covered. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. No, no. I, no I, and, but that's to your point, right? You've got the, now another opportunity, another yep. value to your yep. clients saying, I, I can acquire certificates. I can help you with that side of, of the acquisition. Another big piece of news that we had not that long ago is we bought a 
roughly a 50% interest in Turner Townsend. So the big ESG company and consultant. So when you're a major tenant or an investor and you want access to our ideas around ESG, there's nobody better than Turner Townsend. So that's a major acquisition that we put in. So you've got the largest development company in North America, Trammell Crow, CBRE Global Investors. We'd have 175 billion under management. I mean, there's so many parts of the company where there's learning that we can share to help decisions in real estate uh, just become easier and better. Is ESG impacting valuations? It is. In Canada, globally. And it's going to really pick up more. So in, in Europe, before you even look at sort of the status of the offering, you want to know the ESG levels. That's coming to Canada. So it's going to be led by you on the lending side. And that's going to be something that we're feeling more and more. Because if you buy a building that's not having a lead status, you can then have to think about in the next five years, how much money you're going to have to put in the cap X to go into some of these buildings to make it carbon neutral. It's incredible. What about climate change outside of ESG Mm -hmm, framework? mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's real and I think it's a challenge for all of us, but here's something. If you look at Toronto today and as great as it is, think about Toronto in 30 years, if sea levels rise, if the planet gets warmer, you're an inland market, you're away from water. You're going to be protected. I think that's why you see some of these major capital sources from around the world wanting to come into this city and this country because of what we offer. We've had the benefit of some global investors on this podcast and global geopolitical stability is a major factor in their investment thesis. And then of course, to your comment, Canada seems to have a fairly stable. Uh, and no hurricanes, own, no wars. personal opinion, uh... <laughs> yeah. How does that play into, I mean, so you're, you're plugged into money at a international or global level. So what's your view of money coming into Canada? You're just going to see more and more. If you're not here already, you want to have a part of it. So it's something where we're a great beta bet. We don't have the huge upside that the U.S. might have. So when things are really rolling in the U.S., the returns outpace ours. At times like this, when the bottom can fall out in certain geographies like the U.S., we get caught naturally. We don't overborrow. We don't overbuild. You know, we're much more predictable, careful, and safe at a time like this. And that's where, again, if you want to be in safe waters, Canada's great right now because you're going to preserve equity with a lot of upside. And you know what? We're not perfect. As a country, there's a lot of issues. So you look at some of our debt, some of our other kind of government-led issues, I'll take it. Like it's a lot better than what a lot of other governments are dealing with right now. So all in all, I like Canada. And again, the sales stats prove it out that, you know, down 2% in trading, it's unheard of. So you mentioned that, that, you know, globally we're down 20 and Canada outperformed at uh, just a 2% dip. Is there any compelling case for Canadian dollars to leave the country for other investment markets? Yes. And that's all about diversifying. So you can't have all of your portfolio in one country or one asset class. So you're going to find that the Canadians keep pushing more money out. So the bigger you are, the more you need to diversify. So it's money around the world. So everybody's synchronized in this approach. And that's a big part of what we do and how we run the business is making sure we understand who needs to do what, and we become the trusted channel to move that capital around the world. We're almost out of time, Peter. I'm sensitive that I'm sure you've got lots of obligations on a busy day like today. Meetings in Singapore and, uh, you know, fun things like that. (laughs) Um, I'd like your opinion on just the affordability challenges we're facing. Even one of the major themes this morning was just industrial is going fine. Office isn't as bad as it looks. Retail is actually doing really well in comparison to what some of the headlines would suggest. But affordability is currently seems like an unsolvable problem. What's your thoughts? Everyone, you're feeling it. Doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether it's housing office accommodation, industrial accommodation, whatever you're looking at, it's getting so expensive in the world. It doesn't help when you've got a soft Canadian dollar because that's just another inch. So as a Canadian, high taxes, weak dollar, 
it's sort of affecting everyone. But I think what we're going to see is that in time, as bonds come down, as this whole, you know, inflationary picture starts to drop, we're going to feel a little bit more normalized. But this is something where we need to come together. We need a business mindset from the governments. We need it in a collaborative way with private sector. We're all in this together. It's got to be the win-win. You can't just create an outcome where business wins. This has to be something where we're all there to help. We're all there to have a great outcome. And that's why I think Canada is better because we will do that. I heard uh, Benjamin talk. He's prone to just throw out ideas and, mm-hmm. and that's why he's so entertaining. He had just mentioned federal government subsidizing development charges. Did that ever cross your mind? It's coming. The cost to put these units up, if you look at the cost of a house, a condo based on government cost and input. It's like 28% or something of the all in, all in input, right? It's incredible. We've got good governments. We need them to be more efficient though with just how the money gets spent. So this is something where, again, we're all in it together. We've got to have a great outcome. We've got to take care of everybody. But at the same time, we just have to be a little more efficient. Are we out of time? Peter, well, you got places if to you, be? If, you, yeah. if you, we can, can we just yeah. do, can we just do 2024? Where are we in a year from now? You know, it's all looking like we're getting through this really tough period. I've never seen something where you go from 2019 was all out. It was a great year. Everybody was in sync. It was one of those years where you start going, maybe it's different this time, right? 2020 hits. We all know what happens. We kind of get through that. Then inflation hits. We're due for a period of time where it's a little bit more normal. So we're going to come through this. Bonds come down. Interest rates come down. We're going to have some predictability that we haven't had in a long time. I think you've got something where 2024 is going to be a good year and then watch 2025 should be great. So it's just always up and down. It's always in cycle. Did you hear that real estate cyclical? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I'm doing the math correctly, you would have started your career in 1990, which would be a very problematic year to Do you know what? All all of our leaders today across all of real estate, they all had that 1990s experience, which prepared you for protecting yourself, right? And not getting too far over your skis. Absolutely. Well, that's what cleared out the whole time. So I actually started, so I was at CB for that period of time. I had two years before that in the industry. I started in the boom of boom times. And then I watched cars getting towed. I watched bankers taking down people. I watched developers going broke. It was one of those ones you never forget it. And it's great life lessons. So you live your life in a predictable way. And as you go through and you you look at where we're at today, I just think we're nowhere near that. And the bankers also learned they don't want to take back all this real estate, right? Like it was such a problem to deal with it all, right? (laughs) So again, it's a partnership. The trust that you would have with your key borrowers, the way that we play an important role and the trust again, it's just something where I, I think we will avoid any kind of major problems going forward because of all this. Great. That's a wonderful closing remark. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thanks to First National for powering the podcast. And of course, Forum on the Real Estate Forums for hosting us here at Real Capital. I love what you do. I love how you do it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.